Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. This week on TWIP, news from Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference, plus a Utah school uses Photoshop to make girls appear more modest in yearbook photos, plus an update to Adobe's Creative Cloud allows users to install older versions of the company's apps. It's Monday, June 9th, 2014, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show to discuss the world of photography and more are wildlife photographer, Mr. Juan Pons, and wedding and portrait photographer, Brian Caparici. Hey, guys. How you doing? Great. How you doing? I'm doing good. You know, you guys have seen the notes for this show, right? So this is going to be an interesting show. <laughs> this is gonna I'm be loving great. it. I'm loving it. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I have folks that, you know, that are listening to this on the podcast feed already know what we're going to be talking about, but folks that are watching us live have no idea, probably. Or maybe they do if they've seen the post. On <laughs> they have it. no idea what they're about to get into. Huh? <laughs> All right, Juan, let, let's start with you. Let's quickly catch up. What's, uh, what's been going on in the world of Juan Pond? Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually getting ready. I'm going on this five-week road trip. Uh, you know, I have an Airstream camper. I'm going out from driving from Maine all the way to Yellowstone in Wyoming. You know, I do, the, I do the workshops, the winter workshops in Yellowstone, which are absolutely spectacular, my favorite thing to do in the world. But, you know, I've never been there in the summer. I usually go spring, fall, and winter. Never been in the summer for a good reason because it's super crowded. But this year I'm taking my entire family and we're – Doing a five-week road trip out, so I'm about to leave in about a week, so it'll wow. be fun. How many How many people in your family? Well, you know, it's it's kind of being scattered, but at you know, at the, when we're gonna have the most people, it's gonna be seven of us. Seven? That must be a big airstream yeah. camper. Well, no, well, so we're gonna have two campers. So I'm taking off a week early, driving by myself for a week. Then everybody's meeting me there oh, okay. for two okay. weeks, and then my son and I are gonna be for an additional two weeks, just him and I. Okay. So okay. It'll be kind of, you know, yeah, the seven weeks. Yeah, know, seven, seven, five, yeah, yeah, seven people for five family. weeks would be way too much, I think. Yeah. You'd leave all happy and, oh. you know, America vacation, then you come back and everybody hates each other. You know you, you'd never hear from me again if that was the case. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dad got eaten by a bear. Or something. Yeah, no, he went and ran into the bear. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cool. All right, man. Well, welcome back to This Week in Photos. Always a pleasure Thanks. to have you. Yeah, same here. All right. And Mr. Brian Caparici. Hey, Brian, what's going on in your world, man? Hey, uh, well, you know, here we are up in uh, Niagara. It's wedding season, so we're jumping into all the, the funness of uh, you know having weddings every weekend. And finally, we have some nice weather. So, you know, spring portraits are in full full blossom right now, pun intended there. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, it's it's been fun. It's been great. Um, been sort of a, a week of announcements over here at the studio for us. Um, you know, I've, I've been writing over at SproutingPhotographer.com for three months now and uh, just things have been sort of this flurry of amazing news the last little while so I've uh, got a couple of speaking gigs lined up sir, for some workshops and conventions coming up in the winter time um, for Inspire Photo Retreats and um, Shutterfest in uh, Feb or in April rather 
And uh, I just announced today, actually, that I'm writing a book for Amherst Media all about mirrorless photography. So awesome! Cool. Yeah, cool, dude. Congratulations. Cool. Yeah, thank you. So it's it's been a lot of fun, and I've just been like cranking out content like crazy and writing like crazy, and been over on uh, you know Design a Glow's website and and DSP and uh, Photography Spark all over the place. So it's been a ton of fun. So I actually had the opportunity a couple weekends ago. I spoke at the the Henry's Expo, uh, and I actually followed Colonel Chris Hadfield, which was sort of obviously a, a huge deal. So that was a lot of fun too. So it's uh, it's been busy, and it's it's we've been ha having just fun speaking, writing, educating, and and shooting when I'm not doing all that. <laughs> love it, love it. Well, before we before we move on, just give us the quick elevator pitch about the Sprouting Photographer. What's what's the site for, and who's it for? Yeah, cool. Thank you. So, Sprouting Photographer, it's basically our way of giving back in terms of education and knowledge and resources and tools for wedding and portrait and commercial photographers all about the business of photography because often the business side is what most photographers struggle with the most and so we sort of have this mission to give really actionable how-to down-to-earth advice to photographers on how to manage the, the business of being creative. Very cool. Cool, cool. man. Congratulations cool. and best of cool. luck with Thank you. All right, guys, and just a quick news for me. I am, I'm on a plane again. <laughs> I've flown more this year than I have in my entire life, and I'm back on a plane. I'm not complaining, by the way. Back on a plane uh, this Friday, heading out to Paris, France, to hang out with uh, Valerie, um, who's a frequent TWIP co-host, and uh, I'm going to be attending her street photography workshop out there for 10 days. So That's very cool. It sounds like a lot of fun. That's crazy. Bring him a mirrorless gear. Gonna hang out and uh, take some pictures of Parisians and you know drink some wine and eat some baguettes and you know have fun out there. So it should be fun. That's cool. awesome. Very I hope cool. Paris is ready for you. I don't think they are. <laughs> they may not be allowed back in the country after this. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, before we jump into the show, I want to thank our sponsor for this episode of TWIP, and that's our good friends over at Squarespace.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. And remember, the new Squarespace metric app for iPhone and iPad allows you to check site stats like page views, unique visitors, and social media follows. And with the blog app, you can make text updates, tap and drag images to change layouts, and monitor comments on the go. You can start a free trial. You don't need a credit card. You can start building your website today. Then, when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, just make sure to use the offer code TWIP, that's T-W-I-P, to get a full 10% off and to show your support for this week in photo. And we'd like to thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace is everything you need to create an exceptional website. All right, guys. So this first story, this is a huge story, and a lot of folks have been waiting on this. So let me let me just read the blurb that we have in here, and then we can maybe discuss it. So the blurb says, "Last week at WWDC, which is Apple's worldwide de worldwide developers conference, um, there weren't any major hardware announcements. Like you know, a lot of folks were waiting on a watch or a new bigger iPhone, all that stuff. We didn't get any of that stuff, but they announced some interesting things around the next release of OS 10." named Yosemite, which is kind of in my backyard here, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> and OS 8, or iOS 8, rather, iOS 8, the next operating system for the iPad and all their iOS devices. 
So it looks like they're charting a new course and they're starting to listen to the user base by becoming more open and building ecosystems that allow partners to connect and do more things on the platforms. For example, The Verge posted a great article about this shift in attitude from Apple and basically it's centered around their new iDrive and the introduction of, of a new iCloud photo library which essentially will allow users to store all their photos in the cloud and then access and edit them from any device, whether it's a Mac, your iPad, your iPhone, or even a Windows device. And here, here's a quote from their page. They said, uh, one copy of the image is saved in the I iCloud photo library, and regardless of whether you're using the Photos app on your iPad, iPhone, iPod, MacBook, or PC, the edits made on one will almost instantaneously apply across all of the devices, and the same integration goes for curating your collections, moments, and albums. Now, they haven't announced full pricing yet, but they said uh, they're going to give everyone, uh, every member, a free five gigs to share across all the devices, um, and then it'll go up from there. Paid tiers might range from a dollar a month to twenty gigs a month, or twenty gigs, a dollar a month for twenty gigs, or five dollars a month for for two hundred gigs. But we're we're not sure on that. So there's, I mean, there's a bunch of cool other things like some iOS enhancements to, for, for photographers. They're adding a new time-lapse mode into the phone, uh, iOS 8 on the camera, and then the ability to control focus and exposure separately, which other apps have done for years, granted. Uh, a new timer, a new burst mode, and the ability to shoot panoramas with the iPad. So now we can look forward to seeing more crazy people out there doing this <laughs> with their giant iPads out in the middle of nowhere. Please, people, stop doing that. Don't <laughs> use your phone. Don't use a giant iPad to take photos. It's not what it's for. Frederick, as, as a wedding photographer, I've seen that at so many weddings. And I wedding, tell you, it's, right? it's the most oh awkward God. thing to see during the ceremony when you've got, you know, grandma in the front row with this, <laughs> you know, 11-inch iPad that she's holding up, and it's just, it looks yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. But you, but, you know, but, to, be, to, to defend the people that do that, I have, I've had people that I've made fun of because they're doing exactly that. I'm like, what are you doing? And <laughs> yeah. they say, well, you know what? The, the reason is, is my eyesight's not as good as it used to be. Oh. oh, being able to have this big screen when I'm taking the image makes what? it that much easier than looking what? at the little come iPhone. On. You gotta have some. Hey, come on, you gotta I know. Have some, <laughs> dude, here's my iPad. I mean, you gotta have some pretty bad vision to need <laughs> that big of electronic viewfinder. <laughs> Maybe you should just be enjoying the event at that point. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. You're not even going to see the pictures later. I mean, come on. <laughs> so anyway, so guys, this news. So Juan, let's let's start with you. So looking at this, starting with the uh, you know the iCloud photo library. So again, I'm always bittersweet on this stuff because I'm excited. I mean, I'm recording this show on a MacBook Pro. Clearly, I've got an iPad. I've got an iPhone. Um, Apple TV. I've got the Apple ecosystem here, but Apple. Seems like they've swung and missed at the the cloud storage baseball several times, right? So I'm kind of like, yeah. you know what? Dropbox and Google Drive, they work pretty good. Plus there's other services out there like Box.net and all these different services I can use to store my data in the cloud. And even hardware solutions like connected data there with a transporter and, you know, and Drobo, all these different things that are out there that let me store my data do I want to go back to the pot again and put my hand on that hot stove eye <laughs> with Apple? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I agree a hundred percent with you. There's a lot of issues that Apple has had. They haven't. They've missed the ball a number of different times. 
but you know I still have hold hope because if you think about it right you know they're going to have a system where you can not only upload your images directly into the uh, what they call um, the uh, cloud drive right. it's going to happen automatically which is which is a big change to what's happening today because it doesn't necessarily happen automatically today yeah. um, and it does it and it does it in such a way that's also um, uh, uh, keeping um, your uh, images that you may have edited on external programs as well. So for example, you may be able to edit some of your images with external programs and those will also be synced to the, oh. to the cloud drive in yeah. an undestructive way. So any edits you have done, it's like Lightroom built into the cloud drive so that any changes you've done on your iPhone, you can go back to your iPad, look at those and actually undo those as well. So. Yeah. Which is, I mean, to me, I think it's huge. You know, right now, as you know, if you're taking images with your iPhone and you want to upload those into into a, a Dropbox or share them amongst devices, it's a pain in the butt. I mean, it's just not really all that straightforward or easy to do. Yeah. Um, Carousel from Dropbox has changed that a little bit, makes it a little easier, but it's still, you have your pictures on multiple places now. You have multiple copies of these pictures. You have them on your roll on your computer, you have them on iCloud, and then you have them on Dropbox. I'm really, I'm crossing my fingers, hoping that Apple gets it right this time, because I think this will be really powerful if they do get it right this time. And um, you, you're able to do this, you know, with non-destructive edits on the pictures that you take with the iPhone. Don't yeah. get me wrong, I'm not going to be uploading images from my camera to that. I'm looking at more from my iPhone and iPad pictures. Okay, because that's where I was going to go with this. So this is not, and Brian, feel free to jump in here. So this is, from a professional standpoint, uh, Brian, you're you're shooting weddings and generating all these images, and I'm not sure if you're shooting raw, but presumably you're shooting raw. Would this would this be a solution that you would care about from a professional standpoint? I.e., yeah, I'm gonna upload my images up there, and I know I probably can't put my raws up there, but the benefits outweigh the gains of having that extreme bit depth that raw images give me. Or would you just stick up like like uh, uh, Juan is saying, you're just gonna put up your your JPEGs from your phone and you know that kind of thing and be done with it. Yeah, so so in in my mind, you know, I mean, I think regardless of the storage spaces that Apple gives us with, you know, 200 gigs or whatever it is that we're looking at, do I see this as being the solution for professional photographers for their the bulk of their heavy work? I I'm not quite convinced yet. Mm -hmm. I know me professionally speaking every year I go through about three terabytes and that's just for my main hard drive that's crazy. Uh, you, you know I mean of course I shoot raw and that's for a wedding so there's a lot of images but I just think in general I don't know if the cloud at least for for wedding and portrait photographers is the space for photographers to be using for their professional work that being said I still think it's a great way to transport media from one space to another so I know a lot of photographers like to use iPads as a sales tool or they like to have their portfolios with them on their iPhone so to use it in that way I think is really really great yeah. for everything to be on there I, I don't think that we're quite there to, to be able to trust the cloud entirely for that sort of data and that sort of amount of data um, that being said what I see with this update and with iCloud is they're just furthering what they already have and and they're they're giving us better integration that we haven't had in the past Okay, you know, I think you're, you're, you're the thirty thousand dollar question though. So, what was conspicuously missing from WWDC? And I, you know, I apologize to my good friend Joseph Lanashki, who is not here to defend 
<laughs> Aperture. He's the guy behind ApertureExpert.com. <laughs> but we heard no mention of Aperture. And I know Joseph, going into apologetics mode, is going to say, well, you know, this is this is the harbinger of things to come. This is the, this is the guts, and we're going to see this grandiose application show up in a couple months. It's been a couple of months. I feel like, you know, what was the guy, the, the Charlie Brown guy? You know, it was like, no, was it Charlie Brown? <laughs> Whoever it was. Yeah, Charlie Brown. I'll <laughs> gladly. He went to kick the ball every time and Lucy pulled it. Yeah. yeah, no, that was that was uh, Popeye. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's always Tuesday. Wimpy was the guy with the Wimpy. hamburger. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like Tuesday's never coming. And is, like, what do you guys think? So is the, the promise of this Uber Lightroom killing aperture program uh, pro photography program out of Apple just gone and going gonna be kind of bifurcated into this OS level support for you know cloud storage across applications and third parties or will we see this holy grail of applications show up at some point yeah I, I mean I don't, I don't think that um, uh, Apple is incredibly serious about their professional apps I mean, they are serious in that they produce them and they improve them over time and whatnot. But as professionals, if you're relying on an app, you want to understand what path, you know, what feature, what the roadmap looks like feature-wise for the applications that you're depending on. And Apple's too close to, or at least has been too close to a company to really rely on that. That's why I never really, I mean, I did start using Aperture, but as soon as Lightroom came out, you know, knowing, knowing Adobe, that Adobe is a lot more open about what they're working on, accepting feedback from professionals. Um, you know, I can't see myself ever relying as much as I like Aperture because I do like it, but I just can't see myself relying on it because Apple is too obscure of a company and is not forthcoming with telling you, you know, giving you a roadmap of what's going on. Yeah, they put a lot of weight on secrecy over there. Obviously, I mean, I used to work there. I know firsthand what the what the the emphasis on secrecy is. Right. And granted, they get a lot of pop from that. I mean, it's they're famous yes. for for you know keep keeping the kimono closed until the last minute, and you pop it open and everything. <laughs> but you know, but that said, Brian, you know, as a professional, it, you know, and this is where I'm going with this because I I always like to draw the comparisons, even though it's you know unfair on some points, but the comparisons between what Google is doing with their cloud services and Google Plus Photos and you know recently announcing Nick Photo or what was it uh, uh, Analog Effects Pro, all yeah, these yeah. different things that they're doing in the cloud and Snapseed on the phone, and then on the Apple side, it looks like they are. And you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, I could be completely off base, but it looks like they're shifting more towards the consumer, right? So yeah. we didn't see anything about Aperture, but we saw these things that, like Juan, like you said, are clearly going to be kind of tailored towards people that want to make quick thumb, what I call thumb-based edits to their, you right. know, to their right. photos and share them. Is that the direction we're going in? Both of these giant companies are targeting the bottom of the pyramid, you know, the base of the pyramid rather than the pros at the top? What do you guys think? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I think it's um, the first place that we can look for this kind of example is, you know, when Final Cut Pro X came out. That, yeah. that was the biggest thing. I mean, certainly for me, I, I'm not a videographer. I've done video, and I've used Final Cut Pro X, and for me, it worked great because it was a really streamlined and great system to use, but, you know, my videographer friends and my cinematographer friends that used Final Cut before X came out, they, they didn't like it. They didn't like the direction that it was going, and that seems to be the direction that Apple wants to bring things. Is there more about... Um, form a little bit more than function perhaps and, and they're more about streamlining and integration and usability more than they are about giving us those like really deep features that want that the power users want to have 
Right. So I think with all that, yeah, I, I don't know if they're necessarily targeting the professional user. That being said, I'm seeing some of these updates with integration with like OS uh, Yosemite and iOS 8, like the ability to take calls on your on your computer, or just oh, like wow, the, little, awesome. the, the little things that they're adapting yeah. in there. I mean, the, I mean, photographers all over the place. I, I know an app that I use religiously is called Alfred, and it's just to be able to launch things and right. find files quickly. Well. Apple has now adapted basically what is Alfred, but in the new operating system natively. That's amazing. Like they're they're doing all these things to make our experience on their devices that much more fluid and that much more efficient. Does that mean that it's like giving us power users the tools that we want? Maybe not necessarily, but it's making the workflow a little bit easier in the in the tools that we do use that they offer us. Yeah, it's you know, a you know, finishing little pieces like that. Yeah, what are you gonna say, one? Ferg, I mean, it, it's funny you mentioned both Apple and Google because I see those two companies almost like diametrically opposed in the way they approach these things, right? Mm -hmm. Google sort of develops all these things, half baked, throws them out there, see what sticks to the wall, <laughs> and then they, they they take down what doesn't work, and then maybe develop a little bit what works until they lose interest and then move on. Mm -hmm. um, whereas Apple just takes forever, and they, you. You, you, you wonder if the product's dead. I mean, at this point, I wasn't <laughs> sure whether the Aperture's dead or alive still. Um, yeah. You know, so there are kind of these two diametrically opposed approaches that I don't think work from a, from a, pro a professional perspective. Either of those work. Right. Um, right. You know, you take a little bit here and there that works within your, 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 the way you work, but um, it's not, neither of those companies are ones that I would rely on, obviously, except for the OS and, and OS X and all that stuff. But I wouldn't rely on, on Aperture, or I wouldn't rely on a product that um, that Google put out either, because again, you know, they make changes to things all the time, and you, you know, we've talked about this before, even with Google Hangouts. You yeah. use it one day, you go to the next, and you're like, what happened? Where are the buttons? Where is all this stuff? Yeah. And you can't, you know, in a professional environment, you can't work in that, in that. So that to me, that's why Adobe is still kind of the 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 king of the hill from their perspective, because they're so really this, looking this at it from the professional. Are they hand, are they handing the reins of the pro market over to Adobe since they're clearly drawing a line in the sand and saying, hey, we're going to tackle the consumer market. That's where the money is. Adobe, all pros, most pros love Adobe. You know, may not right. like their subscription, you know, <laughs> right, uh, right. business model, but you know, we love the products and we use the products on a daily basis. Is this an opportunity, a window for them to say, okay? This is what we're doing. They're taking that market. We're going to take this market. Well, it clearly was because a lot of people moved over um, to Premiere from Final Cut Pro. Um, I'm one of the holdouts. I'm using Final Cut X. I still do quite a bit of video editing. I still find, love Final Cut X. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think they've handed a bunch of people over to Adobe. At least Apple has for sure. Yeah, yeah. Brian, what do you think? You think, it, you think yeah, it's I, uh, I, clear, clear sailing for Adobe? Totally. I, I think that that's spot on, Frederick. It's, you know... Apple is hitting mainstream everyday use for the average consumer and then at the same time I think they're making things a little bit better for for us professionals but I think when it comes time to using like I said you know those sort of power tools where we, we need to be in and out have all the controls at our fingertips at every point and we want to be able to customize things I still think you know Adobe's king in that space you can't you can't beat Photoshop you can't beat Lightroom I, you know I mean certainly there's there's folks that love Aperture and then they swear by it um, but but you know certainly the the um, the, the touch and go of it, it, it isn't going to work for for in my opinion most professionals. So I think yeah, I mean sense, it's like it's like Aperture a couple years ago. I feel like you know I'm the king the king of analogies, right? So I feel like <laughs> Aperture was wounded and got wheeled into ICU, right? And this was like a couple years ago, and the doors have been closed at ICU. <laughs> 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 this is like years. So what would you think if you're like you know what? 
that body has been in there for several years. So it's going to come out with a gender change, I think, Frederick. <laughs> exactly. Something. But, yeah, gender change, whatever. But come out, you know, and let us know what's happening there. Right. Yeah, because pros, pros generally can't live like that, right? I mean, you... No. Like you, like while you're saying there's there's a roadmap you gotta you don't need to know I me I don't need to know the roadmap I don't need to know that you know next year and the year after and the year after this is what the software is gonna evolve into I just need to know what's gonna be around you know so right. that if I build a structure and a workflow based on your software I'm not gonna show up two weeks from now and have to redo everything in the middle of some big job or something right so yeah I, I think that's spot on. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. So this next story, this is the controversial story here. So, oh, yeah. yeah. This is a fun story. <laughs> so last week we discussed a story about a Facebook employee who blogged about instructions on how to remove watermarks from graduation <laughs> photos so that essentially students could steal their images. Well, this week a school in Utah has been criticized for using Photoshop or hiring a company that used Photoshop to alter the appearance of students' photographs to make them appear more modest, quote, in their yearbook photos. So basically, in some cases, the necklines were altered or sleeves were extended to cover up the dreaded skin. And so <laughs> some of the controversy stems from the fact that these modifications seem to have been made randomly. There's no consistency about who got modified and who didn't. So, you know, I would the school didn't apologize essentially. They, you know, obviously this was brought to their attention. They didn't apologize for the edits, but they said they could have been more consistent in the application of the editing. <laughs> so. Yeah, they, yeah, that's a but that's the part I enjoy the most about the story that the fact that they said we you know we didn't go far enough. We wish we had gone further. <laughs> they were completely unapologetic. They just wish they had gone even further. Yeah, we missed a couple of people. That was yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Juan, what, like, like I know your nature and landscape and that sort of thing, but when you look at a story like this, and I mean, can you imagine? You're a parent. Can you imagine you're sitting at home? You send your teenage daughter, and she gets her photos where she's wearing this. You know, a teenage shirt. It's not revealing, but, it, you know, maybe it shows her, her arms or something. And you get the proofs back, and they've added, like, you know, a, 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 you know, a collar on her and a habit or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, had they done a good job with the editing, maybe that would have been something else. Yeah, but you know, like, the cool. editing was so yeah. bad. It was, it, was, it was so crude for the yeah. most part. And at least the, the, the comparison images that I saw... It was funny because some of them were blurrier too, so they kind of like, yeah. you know, reduced the the quality of the image, not just that. Um, yeah. I, you know, I certainly, uh, but in all seriousness, I think they went a little too far. Come on, these none of these pictures were all that revealing. I have seen some senior portraits that are kind of racy and revealing. These yeah. were definitely not. These were very vanilla, you know, kind of portrait that uh, that happens in. Um, you know, in schools where they kind of lined up and put them up against a, a backdrop and take their picture. There wasn't any. I, I don't. I don't get it. I think it was a little overzealous on the on the part of the administration. Well, see, I, I have to take it further than that, Brian. I want to get your thoughts on this because you you are a wedding and portrait photographer, right. so this is how you make your bread and butter. My my, when I saw this story, I'm like, if I was the parent of one of these these kids, I and they did this without my permission, I would have been like, who the heck are you to be editing my kid? You know, and to and and changing her or his appearance to meet your standard of morality. I mean, you know, I yeah. sent them to school dressed the way I want them sent to school, right. and I want them photographed. 
how I sent them to school. Not, it's not up to you to redress my kid. I mean, <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, I can certainly picture, you know, a, a bunch of dads sitting at home saying, thank you for doing this, you know, yeah. but no, but no, those no, pictures no, weren't no, bad. I mean, no, 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 no. I, I, I agree. So, so the, the question that, that I'm, that I'm sort of curious about, because I remember, you know, b back in the day when you'd have, you know, these school portraits done and, and like Juan said, this is the, the line up and, you know, shoot them and go type of portrait. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember when we would get these packages from the school photographer, um, we, we would ha we would have like the option for like you know braces removal or or mm -hmm. glasses removal or whatever. It was expensive to have that done, like on you know what it I mean. Horrible. I mean, it's expensive at the time, <laughs> and it looked horrible. I can't even imagine. I mean, I hope the school didn't pay extra for this kind of work because that would just be ridiculous. But um, yeah, I they without a doubt they took it way too far. Um, I leave myself wondering if they had done it consistently to every single student. Do you think that it would have had the controversy that it did? And my argument would be yes. I think that it's still just as wrong. I think the fact that it wasn't consistent is why it blew up the way that it did because they had those comparisons to put you know, back and forth. But I think because they had those comparisons, it made it that much more obvious the ridiculous retouching that they did. And so, yeah, I think, I think without a doubt they went too far. I, I think that this is just a case of... I mean, I don't know the setup in, in the school or the photographer or the retouching company that did it, but in my mind, this is a case of getting too big too quick because it's clear that you know the retouching company wasn't talking the same language with each other. There was obviously many retouchers that did it all at the same time. Yeah. Because if you're if you're if you're the one person, like if you Frederick are in charge of doing the retouching and you saw the same outfit two times, like you you wouldn't in your right mind retouch one and not the other if you were given these standards to retouch to. So yeah. obviously there was there was a huge lack of communication. Obviously this is a this is a huge block in the way that it should have been done, but even within that, there was obviously a huge block in communication from from one retoucher or, or you know one part of the company to the other so yeah. I, I think it's wrong on so many levels my block you see you you guys are taking more of a you know I don't know a light approach to it my, <laughs> my, my block, I'm, I'm nuclear my especially when it comes to like my family or something like like if if there was a parental consent form that had a checkbox on it that said would you like us to retouch at our discretion your child's image to make them appear less whatever, you know? And I checked it and then signed the thing, then I would have been, okay, all right. I, mean, I, I checked it, so whatever. But for someone to go ahead and just take your image and alter it, I mean, I know people that, you know, on Facebook, people will just go grab their shot off of Facebook and retouch it and then repost it you know, like they're supposed to like the the final shot. I mean, like it's it's almost tantamount to that kind of thing. Like, don't don't edit things without permission. It's like a like imagine imagine it's got like a digital circumcision. You know, <laughs> somebody, <Yeah>. somebody <laughs> digitally circumcised. Oh no, your permission. <laughs> okay, so okay, so so Frederick, to that point, let let me ask a question and tell me. Tell me what your thoughts are on this because you know there, there's been j just as big of viral things that have gone around where you've got an advertising company that have put out right. an ad or, or a magazine or a catalog where they've just just done excessive retouching to arms and and, and legs and, and things that are coming all uh, over the place. Yes, I, I would argue that that's probably comparable. Nope. Of course, you're not going to have the model that's like you know signing off on things because that's what they get into when they get into completely it. Completely different. Completely different. Right. Because completely different. If, yeah. If you're being, if it's a model, then 
You, you know, those different. are just that's a bucket of pixels that you're paying <laughs> to do whatever right. you want to do. With. Right. There's no expectation of reality there, right? Right. Unless it's photojournalism, and we've had those discussions. Uh, this is this is different because these are kids, right? So. Right. The rules change when it becomes children, and the rules shift even further to the left when it becomes your kids. <laughs> so I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, I mean, I, the funny thing is, right? The the parents found out when they saw the the yearbook or whatever that came yeah. out. Correct? They didn't know anything beforehand. I'd have been like, whatever. what the heck? <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, that, I mean, well, that, obviously that's these way parents didn't order prints of their children, so may, maybe this is a lesson for for you know middle America that you should be ordering prints of your children. No, I'm just, we, we, <laughs> No, I'm going that <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's crazy. I don't know. I don't know. Twip listeners, the Twip army, if you, I'm I'm confused because maybe I'm just off base on this. Please sound off on in the the Twip community on Google Plus or on the the YouTube video for this show or on thisweekinphoto.com, the post for this show. I would love to know what you guys think about this because <laughs> clearly. I'm on the, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm on the, I'm, no, I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm too I'm with far you. on the left side over here. I'm uh, with you. I think they I'm went there. a little too far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, see, you put the word little in there. I would take, take the word way out. too far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's move on to story number three. Again, Adobe's in the news. So they rolled out a recent update to the Creative Cloud that includes a number of bug fixes, obviously, uh, but with an unexpected new feature. The latest release allows subscribers to download and install older versions of this, this Adobe software alongside current versions. For example, a photographer can install the latest version of Photoshop CC and then install Photoshop CS6 right next to it. So, for example, there may be some features in CS6 that you like better than CC. You can run them in tandem now, whereas you couldn't before. Brian, what do you think about this? Is this something that you care about? I mean, would you would you need this type of feature, or is it just like, yeah, whatever? Uh, you know, for, for me, I, I'm a tech guy. I love the latest and greatest, and so I just want to keep adapting whatever keeps coming out, and, and I think Adobe's on a good roll for what they're doing there, but I, I certainly see use cases for this kind of, this kind of you know, backwards compatibility. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. A couple things that quickly jump up in my head. I know for me, you know, when I've worked with designers on doing material or when I've worked with, you know, folks that are doing some Illustrator work for me, there's always this kind of, like, iffy backwards compatibility issues where if I have CC but the designer was working in CS6, I've had issues where everything doesn't sync the same way. Right. So I think in that case, it would be good for to have that kind of compatibility if you need it. I think the other use case would be if you're a photographer that's maybe designing actions for other photographers or you're developing scripts in Photoshop or you have software that you've done in one of these suites and you want to test it and make sure that it works with all other versions of, of the software or maybe make different variations if you know you take advantage of the latest feature in CC but you also want to offer that software or that action to someone that uses CS5 then you could at least build it in CS5, test it in CS5, and know that it's working properly. So I, I think that there's use cases for it. I don't think it's going to be something that's uh, adopted by by you know the majority of their users, but I think certainly there's there's a good use case for it there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think you know, in fact, I would push it further into I think all apps should allow that level of tandem uh, real estate for the previous version of the app and the current version of the app until you get used to it and you feel okay deleting the previous version. Like for example, I downloaded because we're we're making some significant changes to this week in photo and a bunch of things that we're doing with a bunch of other shows that we're launching. So 
was downloading software to kind of get ready for this stuff and experiment. And I went to, um, what is it, Ambrosia. Ambrosia Software. Sorry for calling you out, Ambrosia. So I went to Ambrosia Software. They make software like Snaps, Snaps Pro and other things. But they made this piece of software that seemed ideal for what I needed. It's called Wiretap Everywhere or Anywhere or something. Yeah, yeah you guys awesome. heard of it. So it essentially allows you to create like a, a virtual input-output box. Like, you know, take the output from Safari or Chrome and route it into this app and then take that output and route it over here. And so you could end up with like a mix that then you could record, you know, i.e. for podcasting. So I go over there and I download this thing last night, and <laughs> <laughs> so I'm still stinging from this, by the way, still stinging, 129 bucks. So I downloaded this thing last night, and the page looked great, you know, I watched all their videos on the page, I'm like, perfect, this is exactly what I need. I download the thing, and I run it, and boom, all these errors start showing up. So I'm like, what the heck? You know, so I go, obviously, what's the next step? Go to their support area, and look and see what the issue is, and not compatible with Mavericks, right? Mm. So, and it didn't say that on the page, you know, when I downloaded it, it didn't say that. So I'm like, first of all, why would you not say that and let it not be compatible with the latest version of the operating system and not put it plainly in my face that your software is not compatible? And then B, if the previous version, like it said on the site, was compatible with like something else, why not put that there, you know? So... I don't know, you know, it's just, why not give us both options going forward? Juan, what do, what do you think? Well, no, I mean, I, I agree with Brian and, and with you also, because... You're you like, know, I agree with Brian, but not you. I've used that software before, and it's great, but it's complicated and messes things up all the time. Mm -hmm. But but no, I mean, there are certain situations where people do need to run previous versions. I've, I've run into that with Photoshop, with scripts in Photoshop, yeah. actions and scripts in Photoshop, yeah. where it actually would have been nice to do that. I mean that doesn't. I don't do that very often, but um, you know, like Brian said, I have friends who are designers, and yeah. in InDesign, you know, they have you know one version of InDesign, you know, treats things just that much differently than the latest version. Yeah. And you know, if you're working on a large document, then you all of a sudden were upgraded because you know you were excited the new version's out. You got to play it out. You know, you got to see what new features are, and then all of a sudden. This 600-page book that you're working on is all messed up. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You're about and to jump out the window on the seventh from the seventh floor because this thing is due <laughs> in, in a couple of days. You know, being able to uh, install that previous version is is very useful. And the same thing, like I said, you know, I, I used to use a uh, I forget which script it is. I used to use a uh, an action or script in uh, Photoshop that I relied on quite a bit. Didn't use it for a while. Then I needed it for something else, and I didn't run anymore. Would have been nice to have been able to run uh, a pre-version of that. I haven't tried that yet. Um, you know, you know, as you as you alluded to earlier, we have a love-hate relationship with this uh, Creative Cloud thing. Right. Um, I mean, I think it's a great deal. Nine ninety-nine for the photography program. I, I mean, I think it's a fantastic deal. Yeah. yeah. But just I, today, it seemed that you know Creative Cloud was down, and I couldn't yeah. go in and uh, and update. It was like you know, I couldn't log in. Couldn't you know? So all of a sudden, I'm like kind of hampered. I couldn't launch Lightroom because it was complaining, and it's like, what, what's going on? Yeah. Um, you, so, guys, you guys think we're, as creatives, and maybe we're like a, a particular, you know, offshoot of normal people. <laughs> oh, there's no question about that. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, we're completely yeah. weird. Um, but from the standpoint of, like, if I look at, like, some of the, pho the Photoshop or photographers that I talk to, um, over the years, it's been hundreds, right? 
a lot of people they never upgrade you know they or they upgrade very sporadically and it's all about the art you know it's like oh i have no idea what the latest version of photoshop i'm still on photoshop cs3 or on Photoshop 3, wasn't even CS back then, you know, <laughs> right, right. I'm on 3, and <laughs> it works like fine, I, yeah, I use, I use these seven tools all the time, <laughs> and I'm making this crazy work, I got 15 sh gallery shows this month, you know, so, like, I feel, on the one hand, because, again, it's always A and B, right, on the one hand, those folks are doing it, right? They're the artists. They got they found the paintbrush that works for them, the specific kind of camel hair, and they're making art, you know, they're happy with it. They don't they're oblivious to all of the changes until they actually need them. On the other hand, I'm a geek, so all these cool software things come out like, you know, content aware scaling and all this stuff. I'm like, okay, I gotta find a use for that feature. <laughs> Instead of, instead of, okay, I need to use that feature because it solves this issue, it becomes, okay, when can I use that feature? Because it's right. so cool. Do you guys feel that? I mean, is it is it like an A and B? Like, there's some people that just don't give a crap about all these updates, and other people are just like, give me the next update because I need this new widget. What do you think? Juan, you can go first. Okay. <laughs> I was going to wait to see who was going to go first. Uh, yeah, I think we are definitely a, a kind of a, a breed apart in that we do like to try the, the, the new features and be up to the latest version. I mean, I hear there's a new update for Lightroom. I go right away and download it. But, you know, part of that is because of what I do. I mean, I do a lot of teaching and I do a lot of mentoring and things of that nature. I need to be kind of up to date as to what, what's happening. Mm -hmm. But you're right. There's so many people that I run into that, you know, people that I do consulting for, I do mentoring for or, or teaching. I look at the computers and, you know, there's that little icon up there with like a, a 37 next to how many updates they need to do <laughs> onto the software. And you're like, how is that even running still? <laughs> yes, that would drive you crazy. Yeah. yeah Google gets me, me with that. With their with Google and you know you get the little number on oh, uh, how many notifications or, or or whatever. I'm like I can't not click on that. It's like some <laughs> kind of disorder. I have to click on. It. Hey, I have to make a confession. You know when iOS 7 came out and they did the automatic updates yeah. on on iOS that probably saved me five hours a week. Yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't have to do the updates manual anymore. You know, it just Rain happened. Man. Rain Man going back in there. And they might <laughs> and updating and updating stuff all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I hated to see that little bubble telling me how many updates I needed to do. I know. I know. Do not. Yeah, digital neuroses is crazy. Brian, Brian <laughs> do you have digital neuroses too, Brian? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I'm like... I'm. Frederick, I'm exactly like you. Like as soon as I see some little trickle of a potential update, I'm looking for a beta somewhere <laughs> online because I want to get my hands on that sucker. So yeah, I'm I'm the same way. But but honestly, uh, you know, do I see this split? I I'm not sure. I mean, I, I deal with a lot of wedding and portrait photographers. That's my space, and, and I've found that that space seems to be a bit more in the early adopter space in the sense that you know as soon as something does come out and there's a new feature or whatever it is we kinda wanna get our hands on it we wanna be playing with it because we're using these things day in day out um, at the same time I've seen a lot of photographers like you know when when Lightroom releases a big update I think the last one whatever went from four to five you know I think they released it in the middle of wedding season and I know a lot of wedding photographers that didn't adapt it until after wedding season because they don't want to start start with this new software and then all of a sudden like you said earlier be lost in it or not have the compatibility the same way or whatever it is so you know I, I, th I think that there's sort of that fine line that we have to walk if we're using this and we're relying on it for our, our professional careers you know where, where we want to get the latest and greatest but at the same time 
you don't want to just jump because it's new and then all of a sudden not be able to do what you're used to doing as efficiently as you're used to doing it. So yeah, I think there's that fine line, and 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 you know I think ultimately this whole Adobe um, uh, launch of being able to you know lo launch prior prior versions of it, mm -hmm. I think what they're doing is just reducing friction. I think they're reducing friction in in many areas uh, in terms of backwards compatibility or they're reducing they're reducing places for us to complain about you know because there were certainly times where I'd be working with my designer and I mean their whole office has uh, Adobe CS6 or CS5 I think because they have an updated to the new Creative Cloud program and they would send me off a file and I wouldn't be able to open it properly or it wouldn't look right or or, or it would be a little bit off and again that would be a friction point for us would be like ah oh, you know like darn Adobe we can't like ah oh, bah humbug you know but if if now we have this availability of jumping back and I can just you know install CS5 and say okay if they send me a file that isn't doesn't work properly with CC then I just I open it up in CS5 so I think they're just reducing friction I think it's a good move yeah no I I totally agree with you so you know again see Adobe owning it see they're owning that <laughs> uh, yeah 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 I'm I'm excited I like I like seeing this innovation but I I definitely have to I have to learn to pace myself because <laughs> you, you know, I have a good friend that you know uh, is telling me that whenever new software comes out, you know, he works at a big software company. Whenever new software comes out, you may be really tempted to try that first version. Never try a .0 version. Of it. <laughs> Wait for the .1 <laughs> you know, because that's like you know you want to let the settlers rush in and take the arrows, you know, and then you go in later. <laughs> You know, and then uh, not have to worry about restarting your system or losing data or anything. All right, guys, let's let's do our listener Q and A. This is the segment where we answer a question that has been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. This week, question. This week's question comes to us from Mark Stowe. He's in our Google Plus community. Thanks for joining that community, Mark. He says, "I keep my photos on an external drive, and I use Aperture." Oh, you're the one. I use the one. <laughs> the one. <laughs> You're the guy. No, I'm kidding. I kid. Aperture users. I kid. Okay. But you got it. Come on. Come on. Anyway, so he says. He says I use Aperture to manage the library, but as my libraries grow, I'm wondering if any other photographers in the group uh, think having their library on a NAS server is a viable way to work. NAS, for those who don't know, is network attached storage. So it's a drive that you plug into your network, and then you can access the drive over the network instead of plugging it directly into your computer. So he says, let's say you're using a gigabit connection and something like a Synology or a Drobo. Will this setup work as both storage as well as backup, assuming you have configured it as one of the smart raids? So Brian, I'm going to throw this to you first. I'm presuming that you have... Uh, you're looking under your desk there. You probably yeah, I'm, looking, I'm trying to see what the <laughs> what the model is. <laughs> like, do you like what's what's your backup strategy? And I mean, first part, what's your strategy? And then B, is it viable to have your storage terabytes of storage hanging off your network like that? Yeah. So so I mean, this is the exact thing. When I when I uh, adapted the current model that I have a couple of years ago from a previous model, I actually looked in in the the solution you know, a universe for, for, for a NAS device. And I, I couldn't find something, Frederick, that suited the needs that I have. And I'll sort of just quickly explain what I do. I have, um, it's by a company called Eureka, and I bought it from uh, Max Sales, uh, so Other World Computing. And uh, it's basically, it's an eight bay, um, it's, it's an eight bay hard drive bay dock thingy. And, and basically I can just put hard drives in it, almost like a toaster, but I can put eight of them in it at a time. Mm -hmm. And it connects to my computer uh, via Thunderbolt, so it's like it's super quick. Yeah. Um, 
for me, I need that because basically my solution is I need to have three backups of my current working hard drive at any one given time. So I have two that stay in the studio, one that I store offsite, bring in the studio once a week to back up and then put it back away. And on top of that, I have a new hard drive every single year just because of the amount of space that I take up. So for me, I use up all eight of those drives every single day because I have 2009's weddings, 2010's weddings, 2011, and then I've got three backups of the current year. So I need all that space. I haven't found something that does that that can attach to a network yet. Yeah, yeah. If, if the solution's out there, man, sign me up because I love the idea of having that. But at the same time, I've got Thunderbolt. That thing is so quick that I, I couldn't imagine being any quicker. So, yeah. uh, you know, for me, well, that works the great. I mean, you can, it, the, the, the Thunderbolt interface, yeah, it's blazingly fast if you're connecting it to a Thunderbolt interface on your computer. But yeah. you're, it's last mile, right? You plug it into your network, you're subject to the network at that right. point. And that's the bottleneck. You could have the fastest drive in the world. You plug it into your network, and now you're, you know, you're going at the same speed as all the other traffic. On well, the yeah, and, and and I think with that too. I mean, you, you can look at the at the specs of, you know, uh, gigabit Ethernet versus Thunderbolt versus FireWire 800. I think even still, when you look at all that, the the bottleneck comes down to the hard drive speed because the hard drives can only spin so fast. That's right. So, that's so you know, I mean. Sure, on paper it may look like it's a hundred times faster, but if the hard drive, you know, can't spin any faster, you're sort of stuck at that. That's right. Yeah, it's like saying, hey, you have the fastest car in the world, and then you go get stuck in LA traffic with that fastest right. car in the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> going Not going to do you any good. <laughs> Juan, what's your what's your backup strategy over there? You've been shooting for a long time. You've got to have a bulletproof strategy there. Well, yeah. I mean, in a, <clears throat> in a previous life, I used to design large storage systems, so oh, I actually awesome. did a lot of uh, done a lot of the research and work in this area. And, and yeah, you should never, ever, if at all possible, do not store your image library on a NAS device. First mm -hmm. off, they're very slow. Adobe, you know, almost prevents you from doing it. They, they, they vehemently recommend against doing it. And there are a number of reasons for that. It's because they don't necessarily do what are called atomic updates, meaning that when you write to the file, the, the file doesn't necessarily write um, as quickly as you want it to do or as quickly as the software expect it, expects it to. So it may actually overwrite over itself and yeah. cause all sorts of corruption and problems within your library. So I would definitely never, I mean, I know some people do it and they say they've never run into problems, but I would never, ever store this stuff on an asset device. Not just because it's going to be way slower, uh, as Brian is mentioning, using a direct attached storage is going to be way better than using anything over the network. Totally but, you right. know, one, there was one thing here, though, that he mentioned that, that kind of concerned me a little, a little bit because this is a very, very common misconception. He said in here, will, will this setup work as both storage as well as backup, assuming you have it configured as one of the smart RAIDs? Okay. Listen, people. RAID is not a backup system. A RAID <laughs> prevents you or saves you from the failure of any one drive in your system. But if you, by mistake, delete a file or your 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 um, um, OS all of a sudden corrupts your file system, you know all that RAID is doing is making sure you have a nice, pretty, pristine corrupted system, but it doesn't prevent the corruption itself from happening. It doesn't allow you to go back to your backups and extract them. So don't think that because you have a smart RAID, the smartest RAID in the world is, will not prevent you, will not uh, uh, substitute for a good backup. So, um, then, so then the solution is okay. So for working. Day-to-day -day working, right? You need you need mm -hmm. speed. 
So you got the Lightroom right. library. You need that to be connected directly to your computer or daisy chained if you're on Thunderbolt or whatever. Right, um, right. But so, on and that that can be arrayed, right? Because that's fast and that's your day to day whatever, right? But then for backup, can't you have a NAS storage device away in the closet somewhere plugged in that stuff gets archived off to every night? Absolutely, yeah. For a backup, you can certainly do that, but not as primary. But the setup that I use. Um, you know, for speed, for example, is I have, you know, I think my my um, my Lightroom library is something like seven terabytes in size or something along those lines, and that's all stored in a Drobo device. Um, however, what I do have inside my uh, computer is I have a, a separate um, uh, SSD drive, and on that SSD drive I have my catalog. You know, Drobo devices, as I know you know, Frederick, they're great devices. I love my Drobo. I have Drobo forever. You know, but they're not necessarily the fastest things out there. Right. Um, and RAIDs can be very fast, but the faster the RAID, the less the less protection you have in most cases. Yeah. So what I like to do is I like to have my my catalog on an internal SSD drive, so it's super super fast. Because mm -hmm. for example, Lightroom, that's where it's going to need to access those preview files and that, right. all that database very very fast. It only goes to the Drobo when it, you are going to go to develop an image. Yeah. So that could be a little slower, and it's okay. And then I back up. I'm a little obsessive about this stuff. I back up that, all of that stuff to a second Drobo. So I have two Drobos, one my primary, a second Drobo. And then that second Drobo gets backed up to the cloud. Nice. Well. See, that's that's the piece I'm missing there because it's that it's that last mile. <clears throat> excuse me, the right. last mile going to the cloud right. because I keep creating data and I can't right. get. I, so I'm almost identical to you. So my setup is. I've got three Drobo, so I've got. Oh, geez. Yeah, well, I've got the Drobo Mini, which is. Oh, SSD, that's right. Yeah. Right. So that's SSD and Thunderbolt, so it's blazingly right. fast, and that's almost right. it's faster than my internal storage. So I plug that in. I've got all that storage, and that's where my day-to-day -day files live. All the stuff that I'm working on, all the episodes of Twip that I'm gonna, I need to do something with, live there. Um, and then they get archived off to Drobo A, which is a Drobo. What is it? A 5D. So. Right my, which is, I forget how much storage is in there, but that's, I call that my library of Congress. Everything goes in there. That's, <laughs> that's the truth, right? So everything goes in there. And then every night I have it set up at like 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. around the time when Roomba starts vacuuming the house. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got robots around here, dude. So, yeah, Frederick's so, house comes alive at night. <laughs> totally not, totally not. And, uh, yeah, so around that time, uh, what is it, super duper, kicks in and right, yeah. runs its little job and takes the deltas or whatever changed on the Drobo 5D and mirrors them over to an older Drobo uh, 5S and then that's it. So I'm screwed if something happens. So I'm, I'm, I got redundancy in my office right here, but I'm screwed if something happens to my house or, right, you right. know, because I don't, I have some data in the cloud on Google Drive and, um, and Dropbox, but not my entire libraries. Right. So that's where I need to go. I need to figure out how to get this massive amount of data up there so that it can be just pushing deltas up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, unfortunately, so. the cloud backups are not something that most people are can do yet because our upload speeds are not yeah. right. fast enough. Um, so I used and to I'm do. I used to do. One, I'm always using the network. I can't. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I used to do what Brian does. I used to take a drive every every week or so and image to it and stored off-site. Um, but, you know, now I've actually moved everything to, to the cloud, and I, got, I think I got like five terabytes up there in the cloud now. You know, it's taken a long time to upload that, that amount of data, 
but you know, it, it, my my computer is backing up all of the time. It mm -hmm. never stops backing up to the cloud because I'm producing more than I'm able to upload at any point in time. So it's always backing up, except like when I'm doing TWIP, I pause it to make sure the bandwidth is good. Yeah. See, that's the thing here. My, <laughs> clearly, I'm in a connected house, right? So, like, there's not a whole lot of window of time when the network is not being used and not maybe even being saturated, you know? Right, right. Because, you know, there's Netflix and there's this, what is it, Orange is the New Black is out now, so everybody's oh, yeah, watching that, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. Game of Thrones, you know, all this stuff is happening. Granted, that's download, but still, it's network traffic. So there's not a whole lot of time or window of opportunity to go in there and say, okay, you know, it would be uploading like a like a, a megabyte a night or something. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, I've done a lot of work looking at all the different online cloud backup systems. They're not all the same. Um, so maybe that's a topic for another trip at some other time. We can talk about, you know, the cloud backup systems. You know what, you know what's good and what's bad about some of them, and what makes the most sense for a lot of people. Because there's some stuff out there that's really innovative, very cool to use, very easy to use. Um, especially because a lot of people, the big problem is seeding their backups. Right? Is that first backup that you do? which is going to be humongous. Right. And if you're trying to do that over the network, that's going to take five years. You yeah. know, by that time, you're not going to care about those pictures anyways. But yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's still um, scary. I mean, Brian, I mean, you can attest to this. So if you, if you push all your data up to the cloud, something catastrophic happens at your house. Some of these cloud services, you can access all your data, but it, how long would it take you to restore and download terabytes of data back down from the cloud Again, saturating your network again while you're trying trying to get this data down. I know some of them we, you allow you to pay a fee and they'll see you a drive, but still, I mean, it still it feels like an area that could use some, I don't know, some Apple or something. Yeah, I yeah. I, I mean, you know, Fred, real quick. Yeah, we could some use Apple. Apple. That that would certainly be that's their next that's their next move. But you know, for for me, if I if I look back at the last nine years of you know what my my wedding and portrait work. Again, on average, I'm using about two to two and a half terabytes per year between everything with the RAWs, and I don't delete anything. So, I mean, if I were to look at that, I mean, there's no way that I could store that kind of data, at least in, in especially here in Canada, because we don't have the unlimited uploads and all that, that that you guys have down there. So, for me, that's just, that's not even an option. And for me, for the sake of $150 for a new three terabyte drive every year, or two uh, three terabyte drives, that's mm -hmm. nothing. So, I mean, I love this Eureka storage device that I have, because they all, like I have it set in JBOD mode, so all eight drives act as eight different drives on my computer. I basically have one for every year. I also have one backup for every year that I've made the previous years stored off-site. So I, can, I always have a backup of previous years. In the current working year, like I said, I've got a working backup in the studio. And like Juan said, you know, same with me, is, is once a week I bring my, old, or, uh, my backup drive, my off-site drive, into the studio. I use a program called Sync Pro, and so actually, as soon as I as soon as I mount that drive into the hard drive, it automatically does the backup overnight, and the next day I bring it back away. That's so cool. it, it's all done automatically. It works great for me. And at the end of the year, I basically put one of those drives off site. I format the other one and get started with a new drive. So it's it's a super easy solution for me, and it keeps up with me. And it's kind of a no-brainer. I use Sync Pro, and it just does it all automatically for me. Yeah, yeah, the big challenge there is making sure you do get those drives once a week right. in sync, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, because humans, right? We're the single point of right. failure in the backup strategy. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm trying to remove the human element out of mine. That's what yeah. I... <laughs> yeah. See? Now you understand my house. Roomba, you know? Human yeah, there you go. <laughs> it just gets done. I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's jump into our Picks of the Week segment. This is the segment where you guys can recommend anything you'd like to the TWIP Army, the TWIP listeners, as long as it is somehow related to photography. Juan Pons, I'm going to let you go first. What is your pick of the week? Well, for me, it's actually a new uh, lens that Canon just released is the EF 16-35 f4. And people are saying, well, doesn't Canon already have a 17-40 and a 16-35? What, what's the difference? Well, this f this is an f4 lens, 16-35 f4. But what's interesting about it is it's got image stabilization, mm -hmm. um, which uh, you don't see a lot on the wide-angle lens. I was going to say, on a wide-angle lens, why do you need yeah. IS on the wide? Well, it, because sometimes you do need it. I mean, sometimes, you know, you if you have um, um, uh, long exposure or slow exposure, you have low light, yeah. it actually becomes handy. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually really looking forward to this. I use a, a 17-40 to 40 nowadays that I love using that little lens. But I'm really looking forward to upgrading to this um, IS uh, wide-angle lens. Very cool. How much does that thing run? I think it's something like 1,200 or something like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, pocket change. Yeah. Find that pocket change, change. yeah. I mean, I, actually, look, I just found it right here. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Starbucks. Good. Yeah. Cool. So that's the Canon EF 16-35 F4LIS US. That's a lot of letters. Yes. US <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay, cool. Awesome. All right, Brian, what's your pick of the week? Yeah, cool. Actually, I just I want to comment quickly on on Juan's pick there. Um I have the Fuji 10 to 24 f4 image stabilized lens and and surprisingly that image stabilizer works excellent when it's wide angle. I I shot, you know, this past weekend a wedding with it. I shot a 1/15th of a second on that lens with the image stabilizer on and it was pristine. It was so sharp. I couldn't believe it. I've never Hello. shot that wide before in my life. Yes, it was beautiful. I couldn't believe it. So it's it's surprising what kind of leverage that gives you when you have that, even in a wide-angle lens. That's cool. Um, but anyway, so so moving on from that, the yes. my pick of the week is actually it's an interesting one. Talking about pocket change, I just posted the link in the chat, and so Frederick, if you want to uh, if you want to oh. post it over into the show notes, you can. Yes. It's, it's not. I, I, I it's photography related. But it's not a camera equipment, so it's actually the Elevate 2 Adjusta Desk by Anthro uh, Technology Furniture. And basically, what it is is it's a convertible standing and sitting desk. Um, unfortunately, I'm not sitting at it yet because I've ordered it, but it hasn't come in yet. But I've just been I've been obsessively reading about this phenomena of standing and sitting, and mm -hmm. you know what it can do for your workflow and your health and your and your your mental space. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm so jazzed about it. So I've ordered it. The company is amazing. I, I researched this thing, uh, you know, to death about all the different options and everything, and I've gone back and forth and. I love what this Anthro has to offer in terms of you know features and 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 benefits and how you can use it and how adjustable it is and how it can work with you and you know, I just I'm so excited to to get into using it because I find you know I mean often I'm sitting behind my desk for eight hours a day and even though I've got this beautiful Herman Miller chair that both Juan and I have you know it's my legs still fall asleep and and. I still get into this this place of of being sedentary and I'm not moving for eight hours and so having this flexibility to stand up and and the desk basically it's electronic you press a button and it goes up with you and it brings your monitor and your cables and everything with it oh. so it's uh yeah it's super cool so it converts it's a hybrid 
So, you know, if Frederick, if you want to have more electronics in your house, you know, you can have it in your desk as well. Um, so yes. I'm, I'm super jazzed about that. It is pretty expensive. I know you're on that pricing page right now, so it's not a Dude, cheap desk. Yeah. $2,000. Yeah, so it's not it's not cheap, but you know, it's the exact same idea as the Herman Miller chair. The Herman Miller chair is is $1200 or $1500, you know, but yeah. for 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 professionals that are like working 8 hours a day, 40 hours a week at their desk, that's the biggest piece of of furniture that you're going to be using. I mean, I use my desk more than I use my computer for crying out loud because often I'm sitting here and I'm writing. So you know, we spend that kind of money on computers and hard drives and technology like that. Um, am I convincing myself in my head and justifying the purchase? Absolutely. Yes. Is my is my <laughs> wife watching like the show? The conversation you have with your wife, man. <laughs> <laughs> my my wife might be watching right now, so you know that's sort of my that's my justification for it. But I'll listen, tell you, I, see, I, you know, I've looked at these and these look awesome, expensive, yeah. but awesome. But I tell you. The way that my desk is configured, it's a sitting desk, right. but I have a standing desk on the other side of the room. If I actually want to stand up, I can bring the laptop over there. Cool. But both of these desks are IKEA desks. I'm, right. not, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of that. You know, right. <laughs> well, hey, mine has an IKEA desk too. But and it's the reason for it because I have to. I've drilled a hole in this desk to mount my mic into it. So, ah. <laughs> so I, you know, and I would, I would feel really bad drilling a hole into this beautiful eighteen hundred dollar, two thousand dollar. Well, you see, Frederick. So I, I've got one of these. I've got this fancy mic here too, or this mic clamp and all these things here. I've yeah. got the C clamp version of it, so it clamps on really nicely and just mm -hmm. goes on like that. But you know, the justification for me certainly, I've thought about having you know a separate desk that I could just move my laptop back and forth to and from. Um, but for me, I work on an iMac, it's a, and I have another cinema display beside it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I, I can't transfer that back and forth. And even mm -hmm. when you're working on a laptop, if you look at it ergonomically, um, when you're on a laptop, you're technically not supposed to be looking down on the laptop like this because it's bad for your neck and your spine mm -hmm. and your shoulders. You're yeah. supposed to be looking up. So if you do that, your hands are supposed to be down and your head's supposed to be up. That's not going to happen if you're working with a laptop unless yeah. you have another screen. And if you have another screen that you're moving from your standing desk to your sitting desk, it's just that much more friction to make there's it not happen. An so. fix. There's an easy fix for that eye line thing. Just slump <laughs> in your chair. Just slump down. <laughs> <laughs> <Change> the eye <laughs> line. <laughs> My physiotherapist is not going to like that you just suggested that to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, my I my setup. We we should you guys should take photos of your workstations and send them to me so I can put them. I in have the photos. Post. I'll send them over. Yeah, send them over. I would love to put them yeah. in the blog post. But this my I have a cinema display here to my right and sitting in front of me over here on this side to the left of the cinema display is a 15-inch MacBook Pro with this with the but it's on an elevated one of those elevated MacBook stands. So it's elevated. And then, you know, I have, I can work big over here, work little over here, and then I can move the mic in and out of the way on this side. So it seems to work. But I hear, Brian, I hear what you're saying about the being able to stand up. So yeah. what I do, because generally speaking, I work from home or, you know, at Starbucks or whatever, I have the MacBook Pro here by design. It's not an iMac. So I can unplug this puppy from Thunderbolt close it, go stand on the other side of the room or go lounge on the couch or stand at the kitchen counter or go to Starbucks. And then when I kind of come back here, I plug in and all my drives show up and it's all good. So that's been working out. It's not perfect. It's been working out okay. I would love to be able to, you know, raise my desk up and down. But, you know, there's a lot of drives and stuff underneath my desk that 
wouldn't be able to move. <laughs> so. Oh, okay, so I so I, I have a suggestion, and I want to share this, and, and I actually had this discussion this week with another photographer, and when I told him about this, he was blown away. So I, I, I love everything you're saying. Let, let, me, let me explain. I have a laptop as well, and yeah. one of the things that I love about having a stationary computer, and so it's an iMac with all my hard drives hooked up, and a lot of people don't know about this feature of iCloud. If you log in to iCloud on your main computer and you're logged in to iCloud on your laptop, even if you're at that Starbucks, you can actually access all of your hard drives through iCloud from your computer at Starbucks. And so that's why I love having a computer sitting at home or in my studio that's always connected to my hard drives because that way I can always connect to my hard drives no matter where I am on that laptop. So that's kind of a cool feature and all you have to do, it works automatically, have iCloud hooked up on your computer at home and have iCloud hooked up on your laptop and you can just seamlessly dial right in as if it's sitting beside you. Yeah, there's there's so many changes. Everything keeps changing. <laughs> Software. There's hardware, Apple making things easier for us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, was, I was born too early. Clearly, you know, I need I need to have born been born like twenty or thirty years later so that I could you know, everything would be worked out by the the world would the world would be at a dot one release instead of dot o and it would, be, <laughs> it would all be cool. All right, guys, let's move on. Uh, geez, where are we? Oh, Frederick, what's your pick of the week? I have a pick of the week, too, don't right, I? Right, right. Yes. What's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is cool. So, I mean, you, not that you're... What do you mean, ours wasn't? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> well, Man, I, I just recommended a $2,000 electronic <laughs> desk. It doesn't get cooler than that. What else does he want? <laughs> Mine, okay... Let me replace. Let me rephrase that. Mine is attainable. <laughs> it's attainable ah, okay. because you know uh, we ain't all rich. Not that you're rich, Brian, but you're. You know, you said at the beginning of the show that you're doing talks and all this stuff, so you're doing okay. Um, so mine is called Nova Flash. It's from our good friends. Hello, Amit Gupta, my good friend that runs Photo Jojo. Um, it's from Photo Jojo, and it is the first. They build themselves as the first wireless flash for your iPhone. So oh. it's like a little tiny light panel. Let me bring this thing up here if I can. So it's a little tiny light panel that uh, you put batteries in presumably or charge it up or whatever and then uh, it will sync you know with your with your iPhone. Let me show you guys what it looks like. And folks that are listening to this you have to watch the video to see this because it's, uh, it's pretty dang cool. Uh, let me find that. Here it is. Boom. There it is. Look at that. So it's a pocketable iPhone flash or wireless pocketable flash. And it's like three quarters the size of the iPhone. And it's just a little, it's a little flash that you can hold up and it syncs with the flash on the phone. It's not continuous light. Oh. It's, it's actually a flash, which is kind of dang cool. <laughs> you know, especially if you're doing all this iPhone photography type stuff that a lot of people are doing. It just, it triggers whenever you touch the screen on the, uh, the iOS device. So that it's cool, but the the negative part of this thing is it's a little tiny thing, and they're asking sixty bucks for it. So it's slightly less than Brian's desk. Wands <laughs> <laughs> wins, but sixty bucks. If you're doing a lot of iPhone photography, then uh, this might make sense. So I, I figured you could probably be. buy fifty of these or one electronic desk. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Brian, no, I'll give you some, you some more. Buy, you could wife. buy 200 of them. Or buy, <laughs> buy one. Why, Brian, ammo for your wife is just think, honey, when I get to be 60, the doctor bills that will save from See? a chiropractic, hmm. yeah. my back will be in pristine condition by the time I get ready. There you to, go. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, and to defend Brian a little bit more, you think about it, he probably uses this desk 
way more than his camera, right? Yep. You're right. That's true. That's true. Yeah, because you're doing business. You're the marketing dude. So you're doing right. business and Lightroom and backing up everything. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. So Brian's wife, don't give him any crap for buying that really <laughs> expensive disc. desk. You guys did not need to go to Hawaii this year. Come on. <laughs> Brian, I'll send you my address later so you can send me that check. Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you. appreciate that. I'm just yeah. going gonna, gonna to show this part of the show to my wife. <laughs> Tell your wife the lava flows in Hawaii are overrated. You don't need That's to. Right. <laughs> we, we have screensavers, honey, and I can actually bring the screensavers up to eye level now. So it's perfect. <laughs> That's all that we need. <laughs> Incurable romantic, Brian Coverage. <laughs> all right, guys. We are at the end of another fantastic episode of This Week in Photo. I'd like to thank our friends over at Squarespace for their support. Juan Pons, where can the TWIP audience go to keep up with your, your antics? Well, definitely the best place is at my website, and that's juanpons.org. That's J-U-A-N-P-O-N-S dot O-R-G. Awesome. Cool. And thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Oh, that was fun. All right, Brian Capricci, what about you? Where can folks go to keep up with what, you, what you've got going on? Cool, yeah, thanks, Frederick. Uh, just heading over to SproutingPhotographer.com, and that's my home base for everything education for photographers. I've got articles over there, all kinds of calculators for photographers that want to figure out how to price their photography and all those kinds of fun business-related uh, techniques and resources and ideas. So SproutingPhotographer.com. Wonderful. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Very, you're, you're the level-headed one of the group. The <laughs> <laughs> level-headed one. I love how you are very serious about convincing us that that $2,000 desk <laughs> was... <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> I really need it, and here's why. You know, that's, I, that's, that's, that's an argument question. for an Xbox, by the way. I want an Xbox <laughs> One. Um, you know, it's good for my eyesight. You know, the Connect means I don't have to get up and you know wear out my joints. It's awesome. Well, and, and you think because Frederick, if you're personally satisfied and fulfilled with this beautiful machine that you can just relax at the end of a long day, you'll be that much better the next day, and you can actually make more money because you're going to be more efficient because you're personally fulfilled. So. Nice. I, I think it'd be a great investment for you. You hear the marketer in him, you know? Yeah, yeah. he's a lot motivational speaker. No, you're the NLP, the the neuro linguistic programming, the emphasis on the make more money, you know? See, that's what you it's all about. Make more money. <laughs> Xbox equals more money is what it all comes down to. So, I oh, I say yeah. go for it. I love it. I love it. You know what? Eight hundred dollars is a small price to pay. Cool. <laughs> All right, guys, listeners, be sure to check out the TWIP website over at thisweekinphoto.com, or if you want to touch base with me directly, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check me out over at frederickvan.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. <laughs>